All right. Obviously, uh, I'm a little bit shorter than Pastor Jim, and uh, I got the old school uh, pulpit out right now. So I'm kind of like hiding behind it. So uh, I feel nice and comfortable right now. So what we're going to be going over tonight is uh, Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 1 and 2. If you want to turn your Bibles uh, there, and we're going to just kind of start in that. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what, it, what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So we're going to be looking at that right now. Let me go back one. We're not there right now. So the book of Romans is, is uh, centers on a redemptive power of Jesus Christ. In Romans, Christ is presented as our righteousness. Romans has been called the greatest doctrinal treatise in the New Testament. Some people have said that if they were stranded on an island, uh, one of the books that they would uh, enjoy having would be the book of Romans. It takes us all the way from, from chapter 1 all the way to verse 11, and we're going to be going over through that. And this is why Paul says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, what Jesus did on the cross. When we look at what Jesus did on the cross, Paul concludes that it's our reasonable service. It's our logical service. And here, Romans have been called the greatest doctrinal treatise in the New Testament, the scarlet thread of redemption runs through the, entire, the entirety of God's word, from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus tells us that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Christ is the theme of each book in the Bible, according to Dr. Norman Geisler. It's amazing, as you look through, you could see from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation that God's redemptive purpose for his church was Already in Genesis, it goes through all the way through the book of Revelation. To me, that's just an amazing uh, thing, and only God can do that. The book of Romans is an uh, intellectual book. Theologically speaking, it is the most comprehensive teaching on the gospel in the entire New Testament. Romans has a logical structure to it. Lawyers and academics have used, the, have used the book of Romans to teach logical thinking skills. And to me, that's, that's uh, an amazing fact. As I mentioned, Romans is a very logical book. Unlike 1 John, which is sort of circular in its thought process. And that's what we're going to be going through like right now. Okay, this to me, the teaching tonight is not, is not a very logical teaching. It's more of a circular motion. So just get prepared for that, I guess. So we're going to be going through that. Uh, one of the greatest things that uh, the Book of Romans did give us was a reformation. That Luther, while reading the Book of Romans, concluded that the just shall live by faith. Luther nailed his 95 theses onto the door. And that shocked and shook up the religious uh, leaders at the time. The status quo of the church was changed forever. Uh, 
Luther brought forth the Protestant Reformation. Many have been affected. John Wesley was one of them. He brought forth the Methodist Church, the Method Methodism, and that's where we get the Methodist Church uh, from. Simply speaking, the con conclusion was reached <clears throat> that the just shall live by faith. Yes, those words changed the course of church history. The Book of Romans brought a drastic change throughout the world, and the church at large, we are still seeing a fruit of that discovery by Luther still today. Luther discovered, along with Paul and millions of others, that we cannot work our way into heaven. If we could work our way into heaven, then we must ask ourselves, how much good works is enough? Who sets the standards? Who notifies us when we reach and have accomplished our goals? Is the good work uh, goal collective or is it individualized? Do we have the same amount of good works? Do all of us have the same amount or, or is it just we have, I have 10, everybody else has 15, 20, and so on and so forth? The mentality of working and living under the law would make us no better than the Pharisees. It takes away the redemptive work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus died for you and me. He paid my debt in full. It was Jesus who said, it is finished. Jesus said those words before he committed his spirit to the Lord, to tell us die, it is finished. He paid a debt that I could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not own. I own a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away, and now I sing, and now I sing a new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt I could never pay. And that's the, the Alton Howard singers. Those, if you look at it, is that there is no way that we could ever pay back the price of what Jesus Christ paid for our for the removal of our sins. And to me, that's just a, an amazing love that Jesus has towards us. Not only did Jesus pay the wages of my debt, of my sins, but he took my sins and then cast them as far as the east is from the west. To me, that's just insane. In Psalm 103.12, it says that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. To me, that, that speaks volumes. A lot of times, as in our Christian walk, we are frozen in our past. Pastor Jim did a teaching uh, a couple of uh, years ago where he went through that a lot of people have been just inundated by their past memories, by just saying that I cannot move forward because of my past. And that's not, that's not a good place to live in because if we're frozen in the past, our present is also frozen and then there's no hope and there's no future in us or with us. Jesus went to the cross. He was beaten and scourged for my sins and our sins. Jesus took the whipping and the cursing for our sake. Jesus was the one that carried the cross let me get this little pamphlet here. 
It, is, it was Jesus whom they nailed to the cross. Jesus is looking for people who are able to pick up the cross and to follow him. Paul wants us to refer back to the last 11 chapters of Romans. This is why Paul wrote Romans chapter... Let me go back here. This is why Romans, uh, that Paul wrote Romans. Uh, on the way in, if you had a, a chance to pick up a, a little pamphlet, I wanted to, uh, to pass this out and to really read about it and to concentrate on it and to really see what Jesus went through on the cross, how he died, the medical uh, procedures that occurred, how his body reacted to the nailing of the cross, how his body reacted to the scourging, the whipping. And this is, uh, there's several people have done uh, articles on it and uh, messages on it, but it shows what our Lord and Savior did for us and the price that he paid. That's why that there is no amount of works that we could ever do to repay back what Jesus did to, uh, for us. He took our sins and he cleansed us. He took our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. Paul wants to refer back to Romans chapter 11, the first last chapters uh, from verses, from chapter 1 in Romans to chapter 11. And that, with that mindset, we can see why Paul writes Romans 12, 1 and 2. That it is our reasonable and logical service to present ourselves to him for what he had did on the cross. If you have never heard or read a medical report on the death of Jesus, it will bring you to tears. The pain, the anguish he suffered is beyond human comprehension. However, Jesus, through obedience to the Father, and my sins and our sins kept him nailed to the cross. Jesus is my propitiation, my advocate, my goel. Jesus is my propitiation. And we can see this in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. So we could see that the price that Jesus paid is beyond any monetary value, is beyond any amount of works that we could ever do in our lives. And the just shall live by faith. That was one of the, the phrases that just freed uh, Luther and a, a lot of other people. The scripture just blows my mind. And Pastor Jim has taught uh, on this several weeks ago. It's out of First uh, John 4.10. It is in this, in this, his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I mean, if you think about it, while we were yet sinners, Christ had a total amount of love for us. He's the one that went to the cross. God was seeking us out. It is his love. There is nothing that we could ever do to pay him back for it. Pastor Jim taught on the scripture on May 15th. 
passage M tore it apart and dissected it, dissected this scripture in a beautiful way. God loved me while I was still a sinner. God's goodness, his long suffering towards me led me to repentance. And that's the thing, it's, it's God's goodness. It's nothing in ourselves. What can a, I'm a sinful man. We are a sinful people. There's nothing that's within me that I could ever give back to God. The only thing that's good in me is what Jesus Christ has put in me. And that's, that's the key, that's the key. And the key is what Pastor Jim has been teaching on these last couple of months out of 1 John. It's abiding in Jesus. The only way that we're going to ever make it through this world, this world is pressing in on us. This world is going to just continually get eviler and eviler, if that's such a word. All right? So, so those, those are the things that, that we have to look forward to. And what we look forward to is, is God's word. God's word is sustaining. In the Psalms, in the last couple of Psalms that... Uh, we were reading before we switched to Matthew. There was a couple of Psalms that just a little phrase, hope in God. That's, that's where our hope is, has to be. In Psalm 37, probably around verse 25, possibly, it says that, that I was once young, now I'm old, and I've never seen God, people begging for bread. And by the way, that's one of the scriptures that I, I kind of fulfilled. I was once young, now I'm old, and through my Christian life, I have never seen God's people begging for bread. So as we look around this world, as we're dealing with just the madness, just the hopelessness that, that people outside of Christ have in this world, is that we can be sustained through his word. Love is the key. True, genuine, agape love Love for our fellow humans is missing in such a terrible way in the world that we live in right now. I mean, there's, I, I hardly watch any news programs. I get the paper, but I really don't have any, uh, I'm not on a news cycle that much anymore because it's basically the same. If you want to know what's going on in the world, just read your Bible. That, that's the true news right there. I mean, it's amazing to me that God has put us in this place and time that we could see what's happening to our nation and the world right now. It's something that we've, we knew it was going to happen, but I don't know, I don't think that we're there because it says just as in the day of, of Noah, but how much more evil can be can, that, are, that is in a closet. Things 20 years ago that were hidden in a closet, they're out parading up and down the streets right now. What is next? What is next that's gonna come out of the closet? What evil has been hiding back there as we get pressed in on, on all accounts? Love is the key. Too generous agape love. Love for our fellow humans is missing in such a terrible way. The world that we live in right now, in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. We Christians have what the world is so desperately needing and searching for. That's one of the things that the generation that I grew up in, 
I believe that they were searching for something. They were tired of the, just the mundane things of the world that they wanted. They were seeking for true love. They were seeking for a purpose in life. The questions that all humanity asks is, what is my purpose of life here? How did I get here? Where am I going? What, what happens when I die? That's the purpose of life. Those things have never changed from Genesis all the way up into this present time. But I don't know what this younger generation is, is searching for. I don't know. They're, it's just the technology age is just have so much deceived them. They're almost like living in, I believe, a false sense of reality that everything is electronic, it's not real. The games, they want to change who they are. If they're born a male, they want to become a girl. If, they want to, if they're born a girl, they want to become a man. It's, it's an upside down crazy world. It's, it's actually a selfish world. And selfishness has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity, it's, it's all about serving one another, serving the people in the body of Christ, serving other people outside the church, loving other people outside the church. And love them the way that Jesus has loved us. The world must see the love of Jesus on display in our lives, being walked out into a loveless, hopeless world. Paul could not contain himself. He knew how to be content in all things, in all circumstances. I don't know, I mean, you, you read some of the things that Paul went through, his trials and tribulations, and I think Paul was a little whacked. I mean, to me, after me getting thrown over the wall, getting beaten, and then thrown in jail, and him, and I think it was Peter singing praise and worship as they were changed in jail, I don't know if I could do that. But Paul was, and Paul did it. He was happy whether getting a beating tossed over the walls or thrown in jail. While in prison, he would sing and be talking to guards and other prisoners about the Lord. He was happy in the mundane of the trudging, of trudging along those dusty Roman roads, seeking anyone to talk about Christ, Jesus. In the mundane things of the world is where most of us live. Cherish those opportunities which the Lord opens up in our sphere of influence to share his love and his living waters to a thirsty and dying generation. We will have trials and tribulations in this world, but Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence and the power may be of God and not of ourselves. And that's the source. It's, it's not our power. It's not our strength. We reside. It's just like in John chapter 15, that Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Jesus brings all the nutrients, all the strength, all that we need into the vines so that we can produce fruit. It's not of ourselves. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in a body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in a body. All of these things, 
were in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down. We may fall seven times, but a good man always gets up. We may fall off a horse, but what are we going to do? Are we going to just lay there and have a pity party? Or are we going to be like in the true cowboy fashion of the Southwest? Strap our boots back on, lace up our boots or put them back on, put our cowboy hat back on, get on the horse and ride out into the sunset. That's, I mean, Peter says that. Peter, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, are you going to leave me too? And what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Those are the things that the Lord has been putting in my heart these last couple of months, a year. I kind of like forget how long it is. But do I actually believe what I read in the Bible? Do I actually digest it? Do I understand it? Do I live it out? Those are the things that are going to get us through these next months, through these next years, either until the rapture of the church or until Jesus is finished with us. Okay, so those are the things. I mean, I've read scriptures, you've read scriptures, but, but do I really believe them? I mean, those are the things where the Lord is challenging my heart right now, is to see if I am truly a follower, truly a believer, am I willing to walk out those things that I say that I do? And then it says here, no matter what we're going through, Jesus will lead us and guide us. And we just sung that, I, I love that song, that song about Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I mean, is that not a beautiful thing of Jesus Christ? I've never been to Israel, but I've been to... Well, there's a joke in there somewhere. But there's a... But you could just picture the sheep uh, coming into just a, a green pasture with the brook bubbling down there, and it's such a calming effect. Water does have a, a calming effect on us. And the green is such a cool color. There's, a, especially during the summertime, when I drive down uh, 19th Street past Atkinson, uh, right down, right as soon as you pass uh, Atkinson, the temperature drops probably a good 10 degrees. And that's because there's no concrete around. It's all open alfalfa fields. And it's such a, a cool thing to realize that that's what God does for us. He leads us. He wants to take care of us. He nurtures us. He comes and he brings us into fellowship with himself. Well, I'm going to go. You thought that was a rabbit trail. Now I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. All right? So just bear with me a, a minute or so. Folks that serve in a children's ministry, I don't know if... And really, not only in that ministry, but in any ministry in the church. You know, it's such a, a vital importance. What a powerful ministry you are serving the Lord in. You have the opportunity to plant seeds into the next generation of Christians. You are helping the next generation not to be conformed to this world. You are helping them transform their young minds 
by the word of God. You are giving the nation, the youth of the nation, everything they need for life and godliness. I mean, to me, that's, and you know what? Usually the children's ministry traditionally in churches is one of the hardest uh, ministries to fulfill because, I don't know, maybe we just want to, okay, have time out from our children or something like that for an hour or two hours. But if you really look at it, it is one of the most important ministries of the church because how long if, and here in this church, is that we have a lot of people that uh, Billy goes around and uh, he brings them in from foster uh, families, whatever. And the thing is, is that the hour, hour and a half that they spend here on a Wednesday or a Sunday, that could possibly be the only time they ever would hear about Jesus. You know, there are families, there are people in Roswell that have never stepped foot in, in a church. To me, that's, that's amazing. And we call ourselves uh, a Christian nation. There are over 90 churches in the city of Roswell. And for that to occur is, to me, is just shameful. Is that, I'll, I'll just leave it there. So, I mean, but you are helping the next generation to be, not to be conformed to this world. You're helping them to be, having their minds transformed, their young minds to be strengthened in the Lord. Don't despise the days of the mundane. There is a time of preparation in our lives. The Lord prepares folks in the mundane and the ordinariness of our lives. Let's look at the life of Moses. I mean, Moses to me was just, he spent two chapters in, I believe, Exodus, uh, Exodus is, is trying to get out of going in and being used by God. He didn't want to do it. He said, Lord, I stutter. Me, I talk like a New Yorker, all right? I mean, so the thing is, is that he tried to get out of it, but God prepared him. Forty years he spent in Egypt. He had everything. He was a child of, I believe, the Pharaoh. He had everything going for him. Then he killed uh, the Egyptian, and he had the split. He spent, he spent the next 40 years in the desert tending the sheep, and God was preparing him for the next 40 years of his ministry, tending the nation of Israel, walking around, what, an 11-mile journey in the desert. You know, God showed up. Moses eventually became available to God. He succumbed to God's calling in his life. And God said, Moses, you know what? I'll get you through the Red Sea. I'll supply manna. I'll supply the bread for you. All you have to do is pick up your rod and staff and lead my people, and I'll take care of you. And that's the same thing for us. God has given us gifts. God has given us all spiritual gifts. If we call ourselves Christians, God has given us gifts. So Moses, we have 80 years of preparation for a 40-year ministry. To me, that's just crazy. Then we look at the life of Joseph. Joseph was a young man. He had a coat of many colors. His brothers were jealous. His brothers threw him in a pit. He sold him 
to, uh, to Egypt. He got over to Egypt, and then uh, he got thrown in jail. He got out of jail, and then he went back to jail. He got out of jail, he, he was accused of sexual misconduct, he went back in jail. He got out of jail again, and then God used him to save the nation of Israel from the famine that Egypt was experiencing. So, I mean, that's a crazy situation where if you put yourself in Joseph and said, Lord, I didn't do anything wrong. And he didn't take it out on his brothers. He was very gracious to his brothers. He wanted to see his father. He brought his father over. He fed the nation of Israel. He was, uh, I believe it was, he was uh, practically the second in command in, uh, in Egypt at the time. So God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And then there's David, a man after God's own heart. He was chased all over Israel by, uh, by King Saul. Saul hated David because Saul was jealous of David. Saul saw that David was truly anointed by, by God. And Pastor Jim last week did a teaching on the demise of Saul's kingdom. Saul was disobedient. He performed a sacrifice. And that's why God removed the, uh, the kingdom from him. Uh, excuse me. And so David got spears chucked at him. God sustained him all through the chasing of Saul through the mountains and the caves. David learned to trust in the Lord. He wrote many of his psalms during this time. As David went through, he refused to touch God's anointed. If you greet people, greet them if you're an usher. Greet them in the love of the Lord. If you serve food, serve them, serve them in the strength and the power and the love of the Lord. If you clean a church, if you do maintenance, in anything that you do, do it in the strength and the love of the Lord. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. If God has called you to a ministry, no matter what it is, he hasn't made a mistake. He knows what he's doing. And eventually, instead of running away from our callings, we need to submit to the will of God graciously. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm missing those things. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ Jesus. And that's out of Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 23 and 24. God is looking for men and women to be emptied of themselves and transformed in, into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants to fill us with the living water which produces eternal life. The willing, and then willingly give it to, away to those who are thirsty. The Lord is looking for humble servants to be used in the mundane things of the world. It is in the battle of the mundane where victory is won. Down in the trenches, where prayer warriors are battling. And in, uh, oops. Okay. So, 2 Corinthians, let me see right here. Okay. 2 Corinthians 10.3, for through, 
though we walk through the walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down the strongholds. So that's the key. We can do a lot more of battle on our knees than what we can do in just trying to knock down a wall. We can do a, a lot more in prayer. One of the examples that I always kind of like turn to, there is a time for work and there's a time for resting at Jesus' feet. <clears throat> the example is the two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha was kind of upset with, with her sister because Martha is sitting around in the kitchen serving this, doing that, and, and that was her calling. She was good at what she did. But Mary, there's a time to sit like Mary did at Jesus' feet, to be renewed and to be re-strengthened in, in the Lord. So there's, there's a balance that we need to uh, take part in. We must remember that Jesus is a manufacturer, and we are just his distributors of his peace, grace, love, and mercy. As we look at Matthew chapter 14, that's where Jesus fed the 5,000. The disciples were coming up to Jesus, and it said, do you have any money? Do we, we can go buy something. We could do this. We could do that. But Jesus said, you know what? Give me the fish. Give me the bread. And then Jesus manufactured the miracle and then gave the baskets to his disciples. So it's not what we can do, it's but what we can do through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Every Christian has a specific gift or gifts given to them by the Lord. Whether we are young, old, or in between, if we are saved, the Lord has blessed us with gifts to be utilized for his honor and glory. God gave us those gifts to be active, productive members of the family of God. In a book by Warren Worsby on becoming a servant of God, in chapter 17, he states, we may retire from vocation, but we must never retire from life. God wants us to be players and not spectators. So the thing is, what we have here is that as we progress in life, situation changes. We may want to retire and do this and do that, but you know, do we ever walk away from being a Christian? Do we ever retire from being a Christian? And the answer is really no. I mean, we go through phases in our life where as a young Christian, I remember Kathy and I, when we were living up in California, we would have people over two or three o'clock in the morning, in the morning, just fellowshipping, playing Uno, whatever. I'm not gonna. Well, no, forget that. So, so, and and even when when we were younger, Kathy and I, we could drink espresso at eleven o'clock at night and then fall asleep instantly. If I don't get my coffee done by like ten o'clock in the morning, forget it. So that's when we were younger Christians, middle-aged. Christians, we were tending to our family, we were doing things while we could around the church. And as older Christians, we, we don't have, at least I don't, I don't have a lot of the, the stamina or the, just to be with all or the go with all that I used to have, but I can do things. And one of the most important things that the older Christians can do for the younger generation Christians that are coming up be, behind us is to pray for the younger generation 
is to pray for them, is to lift them up before the God and say, God, save them, anoint them, use them, use them to save the youth of the nation. Because churches are just about one generation from extinction. If the younger generation is not being drawn in and being saved by the Lord, what is going to happen? I know that God always has a remnant. That's his department. That's not my department. All we have to do is be faithful in the areas where God has called us to to live in and to be in. So I don't think that we ever really retire from serving the Lord. I know that for a fact. We'll retire when either the rapture comes or the Lord calls me home. We don't serve Pastor Jim, nor do we serve Calvary Chapel. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We do everything for the glory and the honor of the Lord. God uses the foolish things of the world, which, by the way, that you're experiencing tonight. Thank you very much. Okay. Paul was focused on the eternal. He had the eye on the prize. He was continually running to receive that prize. He was running a race to completion. You know, right now in the world at the time, I kind of, in my, in my mind, I picture that the Christian race is sort of like a marathon. And as I'm approaching the Olympic Stadium, all I have to do is complete one more lap. I, I see the, the Olympic Stadium, and I'm almost at the gates coming into to do that one final lap, and then that marathon is over. That's what we need to be focused on. It's to, to run to completion and to encourage one another that we all come together. Not that I finish first or I'm in the middle of the pack. The whole goal of our Christian life of being a family, being adopted into the family of God, is that we all finish together, that we all run the race well. And that's the key in our Christ- Christianity. If you have a... I don't know if anybody here has experienced uh, any firearms training if they were in the military. The Air Force doesn't really count, okay? So, so, so the thing is, is that if, if you go, if you are in law enforcement, any firearms tra- training is that the firearms instructor pounded this into your head. Focus on the site. Focus on that front site. Focus on the front site. Block everything out around you. Make sure that the front site is aligned correctly. It's the same thing in our Christian life. We need to be focused entirely on the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to block out all of the worldly distractions, all of the schemes that Satan is trying to throw at us. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's hard on the amount of money that's being spent on gas and inflation and everything else. But it didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew that all these things were coming. Jesus will take care of us in one way or another. But the thing is, is that we have to be totally focused upon the cross. The world is pressing in on us at all sides. It is trying to shape us and mold us into an earthly image. It wants us to believe that there are more sexes than male and female. The world wants us to believe that a five-year-old boy has enough intelligence 
to transform itself into a female or vice versa. I mean, the thing is, is that the logic that they have is, is totally, totally off the charts. It's where it's, we just need to present ourselves to the Lord and allow God to shape us and mold us into his image. He is the potter and we are the clay. It is the cross before me and the world behind me. As the world is pressing in all around us, our focus should be getting sharper and sharper upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God and him alone. One thing that has struck out to me as Paul was journeying on the road to Damascus was that in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, one of the first things out of Paul's mouth was, so he was trembling and astonished, astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Those were one of the first things that Paul was able to ask Jesus Christ. What do you want me to do? Okay, so the thing is, is that have we asked ourselves, as we present ourselves, should we also, along with Paul, what do you want me to do? Paul knew what the Lord had saved him from. That's why that we, we passed out this little pamphlet on, on that, to remind us of the sacrifice, of the pain, the anguish of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Our relationship grows more and more profound in the Lord. We realize the immensity of the sacrifice that Jesus gave us on the cross. The closer we get to the Lord, the more, along with Paul, realize what a sinful human being I am. Two things I rightly don't fully comprehend. The agape love that God has for me and the love of my wife towards me. That blows me away. I am so thankful for both of those. As we continue to abide in Jesus, soaking up the love that filters down from the throne of grace, we have the living water that will fulfill the eternal thirst that godless, hopeless, unloving world desperately needs. We take in so we can give out. I don't want to become like the Dead Sea. Pastor Jim touched on that a couple of weeks ago. I will suffocate with knowledge if I don't give it away. I want to be like the Sea of Galilee, taking it in and constantly releasing it. The definition of knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is gathering information and wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Let me ask uh, an open-ended question, and I don't mean this in any way. Please, please don't take this. It is not my intent to bring condemnation or anything like that. But why do we come to church? Is it to worship God in spirit and truth? It is to be built up into the faith? Is it to be repaired, patched up, anointed by God's word so that we could come, come into church, be repaired, then to go out and to constantly do battle in the world? Is it to be strengthened in the Lord so we can fight against the conformity of this world? Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. It is to transform our minds, bring every thought into the captivity and the obedience of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 talks about, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God has prepared 
beforehand, that we should walk in them. All this to say, oops, all this to say, as we get back to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So all of that being said, Paul brings us back to Romans chapter 12. So he says that, what Jesus did in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, that's our logical, our reasonable service to present ourselves, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. The, the scripture is for all who call themselves Christians. The section of scripture is for all believers across the board. In the last 11, chapter, in the, in the last 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has shown us what Jesus Christ did for us. The long suffering, the death on the cross, the beating, the whipping, the shedding of his blood on the cross so I could be set free from my death sentence and live with him in, in eternity. It has become a logical and a reasonable service in light of Jesus went through on the cross. It is our obligation to Jesus to pay our, it, I am, and we are obligated to Jesus, for he paid our debt and canceled the wages of my sins. I am still learning how and what it takes to be fully committed to Jesus. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. As I mature in Christ, so should my commitment to him grow deeper. I love my wife, and when I married my wife, I loved her with all of my heart. But through the years, as we progressed, our love has matured, and it has grown deeper and more fulfilled in our lives. And it's the same thing as our relationship with Jesus Christ. Simply put, the relationship to Jesus is always growing and deepening and maturing. But how do we, how do, we do that? It's what Pastor Jim has been teaching on Sundays. It's by abiding in Jesus. It's by learning his word. It's by eating his word. It's by meditating upon his word. The thing about the Christian life, it's all about the Word. It's from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's the Word, the Word, the Word. The Word is going to sustain us. Our hope is in, in God's Word. God's Word gives us life. It gives us strength. And that's what we're going to need on these coming days. As I grow closer to Jesus, I realize what a dirty, rotten sinner I am and how much he loves me. And that's why Paul could say the same thing. He's, Paul says that I am the chief of sinners. As we grow closer to our relationship with the Lord, we realize how much of a sacrifice that he truly did for us. I am more thankful for his payment of my sins than I can ever be. I can look back and see a record of how the Lord has pulled me out of the miry pits. When my feet almost slipped, the Lord has sustained me and got my feet back on the correct path. <clears throat> no other religion, no other religion in the world knows anything of what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ is the only person that was born, 
died and resurrected. No other person had ever done that, only Jesus. So that's the key. It is only Jesus. It is the cross and what he went for us. Jesus is the only one that was born, died, and rose again. No other religious leader or person had ever been accomplished that before. Jesus did that for you and me. Christianity is unique. It produces peculiar people. As I look around the room, that statement is very true. Okay, we are a peculiar people. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, would we be sitting in this room next to one another? No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that binds us together. It's being adopted into the family of God that binds us together in our love. And it's, it's like we are a family. It's his love. When one rejoice, we all rejoice. When one suffers, we all suffer. That's what the body of Christ. We're going to spend eternity together. So you know what? We might as well get to know one another down here. You know, there's not going to be no separation. Episcopalian's not going to have a neighborhood. The, the Baptists ain't going to have a neighborhood. The Calvary Chapel's a no neighborhood. The only, the only neighborhood is those covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, it's a wide open neighborhood. So it's through Jesus, for Jesus, his word, we are like salmon swimming upstream. We're going against the world of conformity. That is why we gather together in Acts 2.42. I teach a, a men's Bible study, and probably for the last two years, probably longer, this, is, this scripture has been on my heart. And it continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's what church is all about. That's, what, that's why we come to church, to, to continue steadfastly in the doctrine of his word, for fellowship, fellowship, coming together. We, we serve lunch and we serve a breakfast in between Sunday services. It's to get to know one another so that we can build relationships, so that relationship takes time, it takes trust, and especially as men, we have a hard time opening up Okay, so the thing is, is that, I mean, you could ask my wife, all I did probably for the first five years of our marriage was just kind of grunt. All right, so the thing is, is that it's fellowship, it's building trustful relationships, it's the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's why we gather together as a church, so we can see one another and know one another and lift one another up in prayer. Let me click out of that. Pastor Jim taught a series on being strong in the Lord, and that was out of Ephesians chapter 6. He also did one, uh, Rapture Ready, and I believe he was preparing the church to stand in these current times and to be about the Father's business, to wake up out of our slumber to redeem the time, for the days are truly evil, for our redemption draws nigh. Our redemption is drawing nearer and nearer. It's one day closer than it was yesterday. It's a week from last, Sunday, last Wednesday. So as each day progresses, Jesus' return is getting closer and closer. To stand upon the word of God, which absolute truth is strength for our souls. 
in these troubled times. Pastor Jim then started 1 John, which is all about abiding in the love of Jesus and loving one another in God's family. And, you know, when Pastor Jim started that, it was just an amazing book. And it's, that's the key. The key is that abide in Jesus. There is no other place outside of his word that is going to sustain us in the times that we live in. In John chapter 15, it says, without me, you can do nothing. He's, he's the one that will give us the nourishment, to give us the strength to continue. If you have not listened to these series, you should, uh, you should go back and look them up. I think uh, it probably starts around July of 2021 the series of uh, Be Strong. <clears throat> Paul writes in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewer of your mind. We do this by abiding in Jesus. How do we renew our minds? Well, the definition describes it best. It is a moral readjustment of our life, practice habits and desires. It is refocusing our natural vision into spiritual vision the Lord wants for us. Here's a quote by uh, Warren Worsby. If the world controls our thinking, we are conformers. If God controls our thinking, we are transformers. If we copy the behavior and the customs of the world, we become cheap imitation. If we let God transform us into new persons, we will be original creations of his. God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded by using his word. That's why God says that faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. The conformers is not the world trying to conform us, to press us into the wokeness that's happening right now. There's all sorts of people that are not Christians, but they're logical. They realize that this world is, is totally whacked. And the thing is, is that we need to be transformed. And we do that by studying God's word, by eating his word, by meditating upon his word. I don't know about you, but I'm an original creation of Jesus Christ. God created me. And some might say, thank God, there's nobody else like you. But you know what? I could, I look at you all and I could say the same thing about you guys. You guys are unique in Jesus Christ. There's nobody else like you. God made you in his perfect image. To me, that just blows me away. You know, God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded. And the only way how we're going to be spiritually minded is to dive deep into the well of living water. I mean, Jesus, look at Jesus. I think it's in John chapter 4 where he's sitting at the, at the well and the Samaritan woman comes down. And to me, that's just a beautiful example of Jesus reaching out into somebody that needed to hear about his word, about his life. It is taking an old man which is dead and learning how to live alive in Christ. It is 100% total dependency upon Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
The thing is, is that sin entered the world through Adam. Sin was, was taken care of on the cross by Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated sin upon the death. We all have Adam's DNA. When we become born again, we die to the old nature. We die to the, the fleshly man and woman. So we exchange the Adam DNA for the DNA of Jesus Christ. We become new creations. Our mind is renewed. In the world, we will have trials and tribulations. However, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even through our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's the thing what I think Paul had in mind, that Paul was so focused, laser focused on running the race that he did not see the things of, of this world. He saw beyond the temporal things of the world. He saw into eternity. That's why he could walk on those dirty, dusty Roman roads looking for people to witness to. That's why Paul could sit, beaten, thrown, bloody, jailed, in prison and saying praise and worship unto God because he was looking to the eternal and not so much focused onto the temporal things of this world. And this... So we renew our minds by getting in and staying in and abiding in his word. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. In Psalm uh, 119, 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I, might not, that I might not sin against you. So that's the key. That's the key that... Oops. That's the key that we should all try to strive for is to continually abide in Jesus's word because that's the sustainer. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This occurs when we continually abide in his word. The word of God will transform our old way of thinking. It will change how we view the world and things of the world. Abiding in his word, it will change our attitude towards people. We will be more patient with folks, even when we want to explode. I mean, the Lord has a sense of humor. I have two uh, vehicles without horns right now. So a New Yorker without a horn in a vehicle is a very unnerving situation. I mean, especially driving in New Mexico, there's, I don't know what, there's, on a steering wheel, folks, there's a little appendage that comes out. That's the blinker, okay? Uh, those are the turn signals, all right? So, I mean, for a New Yorker not to have a, ho a horn, God is teaching me patience. So, it's like, so God definitely has a sense of humor. When we're driving down downtown or around the streets, we see a homeless person. We either stop, but we should pray for them. If we stop, we should try to offer them food or a cold drink. Our heart begins to break along with what breaks the heart of Jesus. 
His word will transform our old way of thinking. It will change how we view the world and things of the world. We are in a world, but we are not of this world. God's mercy is a new every morning. So get into the word of God. Allow God's word to soak through our entire being. And let us encourage one another to, to continually run the race to the day of completion. Let us be living out Acts 2.42. Let us be ready for the Lord's return. And it continues steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So let us, by the mercies of God, continually present ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service in the light of the, in the, light of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. Let us not be conformed, but be transformed as we are renewed day by day, continually abiding in Jesus Christ. So that's the key. That's where I want to leave it with you guys, is I want to encourage you to continually abide in Jesus, continually dive in his word, get in his word. The times are coming that it's like God's word is the only thing that's going to sustain us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Father, for your love, your mercy, your grace. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you went to the cross, that you thought of me, Lord, that you loved me so much, Lord, that you are obedient unto death. And Father, I just ask you, Lord God, that we would just continually be those witnesses, Father, throughout the community, Lord, through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the outermost parts of the world, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you, Lord, what you're doing in our lives, Father. We ask you, Lord God, to continually build us and strengthen us, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.